the flies arrived. As much as he hated the thought of it, the man knew he'd have to find a cop. White men's problems. He turned and stumbled back through the thick underbrush, forgetting what he went in there for, back to his truck on the blood-red road that snaked over the countryside. It was a dead body along a dirt road, that's all. The baby's mother would understand. She was a saint. If you can say, then he was living, then he was dead. It is final, and finalities can be accepted. Her golden child had ascended into heaven months before, and like a star in the sky, he was now in God's hands. And so was the fate of those who had murdered him. Dove Audio presents Silent Snow by Steve Thayer Performed by David Burney Book One The Abduction Long ride down Very blue The eternal quality of certain moments in one's life the baby being lifted out of his crib forever and ever, like Dante's hell. Anne Morrow Lindbergh, May 11, 1932. Hour of gold, hour of lead. Rick. March comes in like a lion, roaring, savage, unforgiving in its ferocity. A childish game the winter weather plays. Come the end of February, the snow melts, the air warms, and spring appears on the way. Then the temperature plummets with little warning. The winds pick up and snowflakes begin to fly sideways. Hell hath no fury like a Minnesota blizzard. It was only 4 p.m., but already the sun was barely visible through the cloud base. The man without a face came in from the cold. He blew warm air into his bare hands, bounded up six flights of stairs and into the newsroom. He was mad. Snow. Sure as hell it was going to snow. The wind had numbed his fingers, whipped through the holes in his mask and stung his eyes. Rick Beanblossom had no business living in this frostbitten state. He read there were parts of Arizona that averaged 300 days of sunshine a year. The average high was 82 degrees. The thought of it, and after a long, hard winter, he thought about it a lot. But it was only a fantasy. His sweat glands had been destroyed in the fire. The heat would kill him. The newsroom was clearing out, the day shift going home, the night shift coming on. Today, Rick was night shift. Andrea was home with a cold. The baby was napping. A perfect time to slip downtown and get some writing done. He mumbled a few hellos and crossed into his office, which was nothing but a big cubicle with a glass partition. No door. Still, he was one of the few people below the editors with his own office. At the North Star Press, Rick Beanblossom was a star. Features only, just two or three stories a month, always front page, usually above a fold. For this, he was paid handsomely, and nobody in the newsroom begrudged him his salary or his perks. 
They knew the masked newsman could very well be writing for the evil paper across the river. That was the great thing about working in the Twin Cities. If they didn't appreciate your talents in St. Paul, you could always shop them in Minneapolis. Rick Beanblossom took off his Navy flight jacket and tossed it in a chair. He stole a peek out the sixth-floor window. It even looked cold. The first snowflake sailed up Cedar Street. The advance team. Getting home was going to be a real bitch. He probably should have driven, but one of the advantages of living on Summit Avenue was being able to walk to work. Twenty minutes. Fifteen, if he hustled. Besides the exercise and the fresh air the walk afforded him, people on the street got used to seeing a man with a sky-blue mask pulled completely over his head. It was the kind of mask worn by a comic book hero. Only this mask had a black leather triangle for a nose, a nose that lived and breathed the news. The mask was as much to protect him from infection as it was to hide a face made hideous by fire. He was a burn victim. This was how he would go through life. No graying temples, no crow's feet, no receding hairline. He'd just slip out every year and buy a new mask. Rick Beanblossom no longer kept track of his age. He was forty-something. He knew only that he had now lived longer without a face than he had with one. A great athlete in high school, an all-American boy, he was still in pretty good shape, considering that after high school he'd been given three torturous tours of Dante's Inferno. He slid behind his desk and gathered his mail, most of it junk. Hung prominently on the wall behind his desk was a gold-framed propaganda poster from World War I. Painted in 1917 by artist Charles Dana Gibson, the poster depicted a khaki-clad doughboy in skin-tight puttees and a broad-rimmed helmet standing in a field of wheat with his bayoneted rifle poised to smash the Hindenburg line. In bold letters, the caption read, Join the Marine Corps. Rick Beanblossom had paid $500 for the rare poster at an art gallery in the warehouse district. Something about the corny patriotism struck a chord deep inside him. Esprit de corps. Compared to other reporters, Rick's desk was tidy, almost spartan. Tucked under a sheet of tempered glass was a handwritten note from Mrs. Howard, welcoming him to the North Star Press. Atop the glass was a picture of his beautiful wife, a picture of their baby boy, a crystal vase stemmed with fresh flowers, a remote control. The television set was atop a file cabinet in the corner. Despite numerous awards for journalism, Rick Beanblossom was probably best known as the most famous husband in Minnesota. He was married to Channel 7 anchorwoman Andrea Labor. Sky High News, number one in the ratings at six and ten. She had the most recognized face in the land of ten thousand lakes, beauty incarnate. Local columnists went from calling her Princess Andrea to calling her Queen Andrea. Every night, thousands and thousands of men in the seven-county metropolitan area went to bed at ten-thirty and jacked off with Rick's wife in mind. When she got pregnant, the show's ratings went through the sky-high news roof. When the baby was born, congratulatory mail poured in from as far away as Iowa, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Michigan's Upper Peninsula, where they picked up her broadcasts on satellite.
Then the TV camera showed up at the hospital for the requisite photo op of Andre in bed holding the baby, which later that night was dutifully broadcast across the Midwest and to all ships at sea. Forget that her husband had been awarded the Navy Cross for the lives he saved in Vietnam, not to mention the face he lost. Forget that as a young newspaper reporter in Minneapolis, he won a Pulitzer Prize for investigative reporting, or that as a television news producer at his wife's own station, he earned a Columbia DuPont Award for a story on a missing child. Oh, yeah, he also had a novel published. Good reviews. Modest sales. He was at work on another, but forget it all. He was the husband of Andrea Labor, the father of her golden child. Isn't she married to that burn victim guy? This was hero worship in the 1990s. If Rick didn't love Andrea so much, he'd resent the hell out of her. Still, if the general public showed him little respect, his wife and his peers showed him plenty. Rick was still sorting through his mail when a gust of March wind rattled his office window. Startled him. He shot a glance that way. It was getting dark. More snowflakes. Dancing now. Then his eyes fell on a letter-sized envelope addressed to him in a handwriting that more resembled a scribble, one of those ominous dispatches that gives off bad vibes before it's even read. He yanked open his top drawer and lifted out a switchblade, illegal in all fifty states. Rick popped the blade. The razor-sharp chromium shone like white fire even on a bitter gray day. The Marine stabbed the envelope and slid it open, one clean cut. It was not uncommon for readers to send Rick Beanblossom his own news articles with a note telling him to eat it. At first glance...